The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the commentary booth where we watch and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Apps, and each week I'll be joined by a rotating cast of color commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week, I'm joined by a teacher and travel blogger who lists their favorite movie as Fight Club and favorite TV show as Band of Brothers. Welcome to the show, the man who loves to throw money down the drain by becoming a St. George Illawarra Dragons member. Hey, it's our new year. Every year I start hopeful. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. When you said it's our new year, I was like, yeah, every year's your new year and it just six weeks in. Yeah. Look, I have to stay hopeful between being a Dragons supporter and an Arsenal supporter. I'm used to it at this point. So I was surprised that the uh, membership package didn't open up with a little box of tissues in there. So they must be confident this year. And I guess at least you live close, like it's walking distance. You're not going to be spending money traveling and parking and all that stuff. It's Yeah, exactly. Like it was a good membership. It was actually a gift, so thank you. But um, <laughs> it, it was something that I'd thought about for a long time, but now we live so close to the stadium that it would almost be silly not to. So I've got a membership where you can get, because the, the Saints play between Sydney and Wollongong, you can just get a Wollongong membership. Yep. And then within that, they play six games at the stadium and you can get a three-game membership. So I've only got really three games that you can kind of just go to whichever three you pick. Oh, so you can you can just pick and choose the ones that you think they'll win? Pretty much, yeah, or lose least. So basically just pick the first three games that they play there and then not go <laughs> to the rest? Yeah, sometimes being a Saints fan, it's almost like you just pick when you want to see the good teams turn up in Wollongong. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> And yeah, at least oh, yeah. it's a it's a close walk home. It's not like you have to drive home in tears. It's two minutes up the road. Oh, it's not like the old days where I used to catch the train from Nara and then I'd hang around to like boo at them after they'd lost really bad, but then I'd have to sprint the whole way back to the train station <laughs> to get a three-hour train home. So it's a bit different now. That's no fun. Yeah, I mean, I can watch sort of the in goal of one end and 10 metres from my balcony, but... It's not too much happening in that space. It's, it's not quite the same. No. Well, at least one half and it'd be busy and then the other half, nothing. Yeah, true. Look, I'm going to start every year hopeful. There's been some new signings, so we'll see how it goes. It's just like all the teams that I support, though. We set, we tend to do what we did with our Bamiyang. We sell players and save money and don't spend it again wisely. Yeah. That Arsenal Amazon show, that's going to be an interesting watch when it finally comes out. Huge. I can't wait. I've been waiting for my teams to be on one of those shows as you know i love those shows so i've been waiting my for my team to be on one in years and years and years so it'll be interesting it's a good season for it especially even the games before the Yang thing like we were really struggling at the start of the year so it'll be an interesting one to watch yeah it's just disappointing it's not going to be a, a happy season to watch it's going to be one of those ones where you're like watching just going what is going on yeah it tends to be most of those shows uh so what else has been happening and been watching recently uh, I'm back at work, so my, my schedule of watching things has dropped off slightly now that I'm back 
putting a COVID test inside my nostril five days a week to go to work. Do you have to do that every day? Yeah, because I, I teach um, in a support unit in special education, it's a high risk. So it's supposed to be us and the kids do every single day. So me being an employee, I do it every single day. But the kids, I mean, you can't, it's a medical thing, so you can't question it or sort of even have a conversation about it generally. So you just hope that they do it. But for me, yeah, every morning is coffee and a swab up the nostril or nostrils. But, yeah, <laughs> they're getting sore. Yeah. <laughs> That is real rough. Yeah, and even the other day, I just like because you're doing so many. Like I'm pretty good at it now, but I um I did it kind of. I usually do it and then go get ready, come back after the 15 minutes and check it, and then kind of head out. But one day I didn't realize I put it upside down, so I came out and I thought the line was on the bottom, but really the test was just spun around. So I came out and was like scared that I had COVID, but excited that I got a week off, and then just realized all of it was for nothing because I just needed to flip it the right way. Yep. Okay. That's an interesting way to start your morning or emotional roller coaster. Yeah, very. But um, yeah, I've watched a few things. Um, my favorite thing that's back on TV that was Australian Survivor. I'm hooked on that. Anne's got a friend that she used to go to to uni with uh, back in the day that is actually on there. So we had a reason to really, really watch it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but it's a, a new season where they've done what's called Blood vs Water, so that. Each person usually goes on by themselves, but now they've got two people that go on together. So they've got, uh, for the case of, of that girl, Shayelle, it's her and her boyfriend. They've got um, ex-footy players like Mick Crocker and his sister-in-law. They've got brothers, sisters, um, partners, cousins. So everybody has someone with them. Um, and they all went in there with the understanding they get to play with this person. But as soon as they got there, they kind of said, okay, well, everyone that's on this side of me, you get a red banner, a bandana, sorry, and everyone on this side of me, you get a blue bandana, and they immediately separated them. So then they're playing against the person that they love, which is a really cool twist on the normal survivor, I think. Yeah, especially when they were going in thinking, hey, we're, we're going to be on the same team here. This will be a fun trip. and then Yeah, and immediately broke their hearts. And I guess when you're playing for rewards i mean you're taking the food out of your wife's mouth potentially <laughs> and then if you're playing for immunity you're beating them in a chance that you could send your own partner home so it makes it really interesting especially when people get voted off then they immediately have an enemy on the other side because you voted off someone they love so they're out to get you um they mixed it up a bit they have she calls herself sandra the queen of survivor the a lady that comes from uh, the United States that came with her daughter. She's been, been on five series of Survivor in the US. She's won two of them. Jesus. Uh, and so they've chucked her into the outback, into the mix of that. So I think they've really made a big effort this time to do something different. Not that I, I would have watched it if it was exactly the same, to be honest with you. But, the, uh, yeah, the new complexity of that makes it a quite interesting watch. So it's been enjoyable. It's going to make it interesting when they get to the merge too, like... It's kind of everyone's trying to get to the merge with their significant other still on the other team, I guess. Yeah, and not to give away too much of it, but it seems as though every time someone gets voted out, if you or I were to go in there together, it seems as though if you got voted out and the next time I go in, that they pretty much vote me out next anyway. Like it's the partnerships are pretty much staying quite solid. But I know this week's one tonight is going to be the, the drop the buffs and merge but it's a random merge with two tribes again. So 
some people will get to be with their partners, some people won't. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting mix. So we'll see. I do like that they've sort of tried to reinvent and add new gimmicks to the show rather than just repeating the same worn formula over and over again. Yeah, I mean, the Survivor US, which is, I think Channel 9 has them on their streaming service. I started watching, it's like season 42 of Survivor in the US. So their one, they made a massive effort to try and do something different. They split the tribes rather than having two big tribes. They immediately started with three little tribes, so six people on each rather than two of nine. They rationed their food even heavier, so... Previously, they were kind of getting rice and beans and things, and this time they only just gave them, like, the bare minimum of the rice that they could eat. So they're starving quicker. They threw more different types of advantages and things in. So it's obviously something that Survivor franchise is aware of and is trying to do. But I definitely think this mix is better than the the Season 42 one. It was a little bit overdone for me and didn't let the people kind of have control of the show as much, whereas the, the Aussie one there's still space and time there for them to kind of build the relationships and break the relationships rather than just have it be controlled by the producers the whole time. Yeah, like I don't like the idea of all the different immunities and bits and pieces, but I do like, I feel like that idea of the three tribes could really create some interesting dynamics as well. Yeah, it does. And it's, I mean, the small, It's. I think the hard thing at the start of Survivor is that it's almost like like the army training sort of a thing. You really want to be the grey man, the, the person that's kind of not sucking at the bottom, not killing it at the top, but just hovering in the middle and no one seems to notice that you're there. And when they have small tribes, it's just impossible to do that. So, yeah, I, I like the small tribes for that. I have I have noticed that on the few seasons I've watched. You see the, the people in the middle just kind of do nothing and coast along until the merge and then that's when they have to sort of come out of their shell. But, yeah, with those smaller tribes of six very hard to be the middle guy like you're gonna be good at something and pop up at the top somewhere yeah definitely it's like that they had it a year three years ago it was christy and she just got dragged along the entire time and she won like it was and everyone at the end of it felt so let down because like well played to her she survived out in the i think i was in fiji at that time and they survived out there for 40 days or whatever it is and she suffered but she just really didn't do much and at the end of it, you're like, well, I guess people can survive by just kind of hanging on to the coattails of other people. But it just wasn't, you felt ripped off by the end of it, which isn't something that you kind of want after watching a show for that long. Yeah, you, you want those heroes and villains. Like you don't just want the person in the middle that kind of does nothing to get up. Like it's, you want someone to root for. Yeah, it seems they're very conscious of casting people that are willing to be those heroes and villains now. Like I think before it was kind of they would just cast people that would float along, but it seems this one they've got people that are either pretty well-known. I mean, like Khan is a, a character off of, um, a contestant, I should say, off of MasterChef a couple of times. Uh, and I know like even Anne's friend, uh, I think she's, she's probably considered an influencer on on Instagram and, I mean, all the people they've got on there are ex-athletes, ex-survivor players, but they've really been conscious of getting people that are quite big personalities that will actually step into those roles. Sandra, the, the queen of Survivor, she flew, they flew her in on a helicopter while everyone else had to walk and then she's just <laughs> immediately gone about trying to burn the whole thing to the ground. So, yeah, it makes for a much more interesting show if they're people that are, are willing to be a bit more out there. Yeah, like in the... That earlier season when they had Matt, the wrestler from Sydney, yep. 
yeah. when he was on there, he was like one of those people that was just like, I'm just going to be my wrestling character on here and just really annoy people and go over the top with my celebrations and stuff. And they're the sort of people you want to see because they're, they're fun to watch, even though they might be annoying. Yeah, definitely. And they used to have more characters like that. It used to be they had like Henry, who was just like a labourer, but went in pretending to be a yoga instructor. <laughs> and people that used to really try and just like have backstories for it. And I mean, Andy that was on there this year, who was from a previous season, he wore his golf hat in there as a bit of a, an homage to his last time on there. But he's just a random bloke that went in there telling everybody he was a professional golf instructor. Like, I, I enjoy it when people have those backstories and have a good crack at immediately manipulating people. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's, it's a good season. Ann and I are very much hooked on it. She hates. Uh, married at first sight so i mean there's the other option for us to watch that so yeah really enjoying survivor hanging for it to come out every time it comes out so loving it that is a surprise that ann hates married at first sight i thought she would have been one that loved that show you know it makes me happy that she hates it because the reason that she hates it is because she thinks it devalues people's real marriages and just makes it a joke that's fair being married to her makes me feel happy that she thinks that. Yeah, true. She does, definitely values the the marriage. Yeah, and she like I think that that three of them came out as actors already, like like paid actors. Sounds about right. There is someone from Wollongong on there though, which is interesting. Yeah, it's oh, it's a crazy show. But I mean, I, what I always say to her is, you got to go into that show just knowing that it's all staged and it's all just drama for the sake of drama. Yeah, like I think there's some people that go on there for the right reasons, but. At this point now, most of the people that are going on there are just trying to get that 15 minutes of fame and hopefully turn it into a radio career or a modeling career or something along those lines. The other thing you were watching was a hundred foot wave. I started it after you said you were going to watch it and wow, those guys are nuts. Yeah, crazy. So that's a um, hundred foot wave off of, you're watching on binge from memory? Yep. Yeah. So it follows the story of Garrett McNamara. So he's a, a Hawaiian big wave surfer who pretty much ended his career and had given up on the surfing scene um, and had opened a surf shop up and was kind of doing day-to-day, changed his mind, realised he really wanted to follow big wave surfing as his career and they ended up being the first person to really publicly surf Nazare, which is a, a big wave break in Portugal. It's the one that most people would have seen in the, there was a recent video where a guy was surfing. It was well over 100 foot that way, which is like 32 metres of wave, which like when you think about surfing, people kind of underestimate the power of and the weight of the water when it hits you. I think when I was reading the actual force that that wave has behind it, if it landed on you, it's the equivalent of having 1,300 Volkswagen Beetles land on top of you. Ow. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy wave. And the way that it breaks, normally in places kind of like um, there's Mavericks in the United States, there's big wave stop, there's Jaws in Hawaii, which is the one that people would normally see with the helicopters flying over in Hawaii. Those places come off on reefs where there's massive, massive waves that are coming in, sort of pushing upwards of sort of 60, 70, 80 feet. But there's always a channel where you can see it. And that's where the boats always are. And people take the videos from things like that. And you're safe in that channel. Nazare in Portugal comes from really deep. And they do that. They do a really good job of explaining it, I think, and how it breaks. But it comes from, yeah, and it comes from quite deep. It comes up, but then it breaks onto basically what is a beach break, which is 
just sand moving around uh, and a headland, and it's very, very unpredictable. So, I mean, it's hard to be rescued there. Um, it's hard to be safe there, and the waves are far bigger there. If you ever get the chance to see, I can't remember his name, but there was a guy that was pushing 150 feet, like, and it was it's crazy to see that tiny little surfer on that giant wave, and they're doing kind of upwards of 100 kilometres an hour on a surfboard that's just bouncing the whole time with that wave behind them. It's terrifying. I like it's yeah, it's nuts that they do it. Yeah, like the, they did a really good job of explaining how that wave breaks. Like the water comes up through this canyon, which is super deep and bigger than the Grand Canyon, they were saying. And because it comes in from so low and gets like filtered through this channel, it gets faster and faster. And then it hits the end of it, just kicks straight up. And I think they were saying like it's the equivalent of like an eight-story building. And like that, when they said that, I was like, well, that puts into perspective yeah <laughs> just how big these waves are yeah and if you come off it's like life or death like literally life or death and that's if you you got to hope that you don't get injured it's been a big thing in surfing for probably the last oh, five to ten years it's it's gone from everyone started toe surfing so they could surf these giant waves and i think the hard thing is once you get past a certain height it becomes nearly impossible for you to paddle onto those waves but just because, like you said, the speed that they move at. So there was a very, very big stage where people were just exclusively towing into waves. The, the jet skis got better. The technology for the vests got better. So they have basically life vests that are kind of protective. Uh, and if they get double hold downs, and they're, they're under there for quite a long time, um, and they go quite deep when they get held down, but they have a little like a ripcord and it can open gas fires and they get kind of floated back to the top. So the risk at the moment is that a lot of people have a jet ski and can buy the technology to try and save themselves, but they don't necessarily have the skills to surf the wave or survive the hold downs. So they're getting quite a lot of people that just shouldn't be out there crowding up places that shouldn't be crowded. Mm. Um, There's accidents with jet skis going over the falls on those waves and then the jet ski rider gets stuck at the same time plus the jet ski could hit you. So, yeah, it's it's a really big thing in surfing at the moment that, people have kind of pushed back towards paddling into those waves. So I think that'll be the next thing you see is people really trying to paddle into bigger and bigger waves because it's a bit more respected than being towed into. But that doesn't take away from what Garrett McNamara and all those guys out there do. It's insane. And if you haven't seen it, definitely something that you should see to just take in what they can actually do on a surfboard. Oh, yeah. Like it's just the vision is crazy and like just the the danger too. Like they were talking about how that particular break, like you said, it doesn't break consistently in the one spot backwards and forwards like you'll have one wave over here and then the next one will pop up coming this way the opposite side and they just rear up out of nowhere and then the like the jet ski because they have to go into that whitewash it has no traction when it gets in there in like the foamy stuff and you see a, a moment where he's trying to rescue someone and he's clearly pulling the throttle and it's just in foam and not moving it's just like oh there's a wave coming and we can't we can't move like what are we going to do yeah i mean that guy is an absolute weapon of a surfer so it's crazy the bit to me where he took his his girlfriend his wife out and then she came off and nearly drowned <laughs> yeah like the one of the first days that they were there <laughs> from that moment she was like um i'm just going to sit on the cliff and be the the spotter and call stuff out for you like i'm not going back in there that's too scary she won't even go out there on the jet ski you never get any me near anything like that going out there, but what a cool place to be able to go and 
and watch it like that headland at Nazare is just insane like the whole town and the way they talk about the town and how it's kind of sprung back to life a bit from the the tourism element of the big wave surfing is is quite cool too and the town helping him become that sort of uh, first surfer out there as well yeah for the like the council and everything to invest in their project and getting Nazare put on the map as a a tourist location because of the waves was pretty cool like you were saying with the power of the waves like even if you go down to the local beach like a two-foot wave like when that hits you like oh yeah hang on there's a lot of power <laughs> behind this wave and so a hundred foot wave no thank you yeah definitely yeah it's it's scary when you think about it it's yeah some really bad things can happen out of it so well done garrett you can keep that to yourself i think mate i'll watch you on tv <laughs> yeah no no thank you that's all, all yours <laughs> And, yeah, speaking of crazy people, I went to the Roxy Cinema and saw Jackass Forever last week. Oh, they're back. Yep, second time at the Roxy in, like, three weeks. Like, I went and saw Scream 5, and then I went back a week or two later and saw Jackass Forever, which is, yeah, the fourth film in the Jackass franchise. They welcome back the majority of the original cast. So Johnny Knoxville's back, Steve-O, Chris Pontius, Dave England. Wee Man, Danger Aaron, and Preston Lacey are all back. Bam Majera was originally in the cast, but was fired during filming. <laughs> he has come out after being fired and said it was because he tested positive to Adderall, which is a drug that he's been on for his ADHD for a long time. But I call bullshit, then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also welcome in a, a bunch of new cast members. They add... This guy has the worst nickname, Sean Poopies McInerney, <laughs> <laughs> Zach Holmes, Jasper Dolphin, Rachel Wilson. So they add a, a woman to the cast and Eric Manica. And then there's cameos from skateboarders, Nick Molino, David Gravett, Aaron Jaws, Homoki, Rob Durdek, Eric Andre pops up, Francis Ngannou, the UFC fighter. Uh, Danielle O'Toole, who's a softball pitcher, P.K. Subban, the uh, ice hockey player, Tori Balechi from Mythbusters is on, on the movie, <laughs> which was pretty funny. He's trying to help them uh, light a fart underwater. <laughs> so he's he's there for the science aspect. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, Tyler, the creator, and then Tony Hawk makes a, a brief cameo in the, the opening, like intro sequence skip. As long as you go in expecting a jackass movie like don't go in there expecting fine high class cinema you're just going in to watch people do dumb crap and hurt themselves and you'll enjoy this one it's more of the same two significant very significant injuries in this movie rather than like the previous ones they all seem to kind of get out of them sort of fairly scot-free this one steve-o and johnny knoxville both had to go to hospital uh steve-o broke his collarbone and then they ended up cutting the skit from the movie anyway. So, oh, for nothing. And Johnny Knoxville broke a rib, broke his wrist, had the worst concussion he has ever had, he said, and also had a hemorrhage on his brain from trying to redo, I think it's from Jackass 3, where he like dances in front of the bull and gets hit and flipped up in the air. And oh, yeah. He redoes that gets hit by the ball, flips up in the air the exact same way, but just comes down funny, lands on his wrist, breaks his wrist, breaks his rib, and is out cold. 
has no memory of the skit ever even happening. So it's crazy these guys are back on there. They've got to be like how many years older now? 20 years older? 20 years more sober, 20 years older. Like, I can't see myself. Like, I tore my calf muscle playing golf the other day at 33. So I can't imagine what getting hit by a bull would do to you. At Johnny Knoxville's, like, got to be, like, pushing 45. He's 50. 50. <laughs> it's 50 getting run over by bulls. Like, no wonder you're, you're breaking bones. Uh, I mean, Kelly Slater just won pipe the other day at 50, but, oh, I can't imagine getting hit by a bull. Yeah, not not fun at all. But yeah, like I really enjoyed it. I was laughing all throughout, so it's very good. Some of the highlight stunts were Steve-O getting a beard of bees on his penis, which did not look fun at all. Uh, Wee Man lets a vulture eat strips of meat from his naked body and groin. That that looked very, very scary. (laughs) I'd be scared Wee Man, they're going to just fly off with you in their clutches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Danger Aaron redoes the the cup test from I think the original Jackass. So basically, he's, he's wearing this cup. He lets the softball pitcher throw at him, and the first attempt, he like turns and just cops it directly in the thigh, leaves this massive bruise. And then the second attempt, she nails it first, like right dead center. Then he has PK Subban just drilling hockey pucks at him, gets it right in the cup. And then the last test is Francis Ngannou, UFC fighter who has the record hardest punch ever. Yeah, he just punches him right in the dick. (laughs) (laughs) And like even like the hockey puck just leaves a, a steel cup, leaves a big dent in it. Yeah, just does not look fun at all. And then some of the others were they dump a giant bucket of pig semen all over Dave England, unawares. He's just sitting there doing what he thinks is just like a, an interview feature to the camera and then just pfft, covered. Who makes these ideas? Johnny Knoxville and the team just come up with these stupid ideas. They lock the newcomers in a, a room with, they show them a rattlesnake and then the lights go out. And the rattlesnake is put away, but they think it's still in there. And there's just a guy with a rattle, just like shaking a rattle, and they're just terrified. (laughs) That one one was funny because they are just absolutely panicking. (laughs) Rachel Wolfson, the first female jackass, gets a scorpion. They let her, she lets them sting her lips with a scorpion. Nature's Botox. Uh, And then I think the funniest one, though, is they strap Dave into an electric chair and they start off, they're doing uh, like a lie detector test and every time he lies, they shock him. But then while he's strapped into this chair and can't move, Johnny Knoxville just starts pouring honey all over him and then just sits some salmon on his lap and leaves the room. Oh, no. And then they let a bear into the room. (laughs) And he's just like, what? the hell is going on and it just looks so so scared like i would be too i'm covered in honey and this bear is licking honey off my lap surely no insurance company touches them like the bear gets you it's on you <laughs> they probably have it for like random injuries but yeah when when you're doing something with a, a bear locked in a room it's like we're not covering that one 
since the movie has come out, Jeff Tremaine has stated that they filmed enough content for two movies. So I'm hoping at some point we get like all the previous releases, Jackass 4.5, which will be all the the stuff that got cut, and we might actually see how Steve-O broke his collarbone. Okay. It's like it's good that, um, I mean, like there's so much content out there now of people that, like obviously see, like seeing people get hurt is something that people just look scared. It's just something that people think is funny. But there's all these probably TikTokers and content creators out there now that, wouldn't have even had a career without the Jackass movies. So it's good that they're at least kind of coming back to the people that started it and giving them a shot again to be in the limelight. Because, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people owe a lot of money and career to what these guys started. As stupid as it is, it wouldn't be existing without them. Those dudes are at the forefront of just like, just film your mates doing dumb stuff and they made a 20-year career out of it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Pontius has done an interview recently and said, Jackass 4.5 is coming, and he said it'd be released on Netflix, but I highly doubt that's correct. I would assume since it's a Paramount production, it would be a a Paramount Plus release. Like, that'd be weird if it was on Netflix. Yeah, like, I really like this movie. It was, it felt like it was a farewell to that original cast because, like, Johnny has said, this is the last one I'm doing. We Man said it was the most painful movie out of all the previous jackass movies (laughs) so it felt like a farewell to those guys while sort of simultaneously trying to pass the torch to that new cast yeah Um, and there was a really nice tribute to ryan dunn at the end as well so like it finishes like trying to hit you in the feels which is a, a unusual sort of thing you don't really expect from jackass basically you have to stay through the whole credits because it's not like the standard movie credits where it's white text black screen white text scrolling up it's it's just more like clips and bits of ryan outtakes clips from like the past and stuff like really cool credit sequence so definitely worth sticking around till the very very end disappointing about bam yeah i know like couldn't you just like not take drugs for what couple of months that you were filming this movie yeah was it i think vice did a little like mini documentary on him and you can see how, like, just far off the rails he'd just fallen, which is really sad. Mm. I mean, because he was really one of the best characters on there. Like, he kind of was quite funny. And his family, like, Phil, and, like, he was going to show for a while. But then, yeah, every time you kind of hear about him, you hope that he's gotten a bit better. But it just sounds like he just can't get it together. And a crew of people that, like, Steve-O was, if you ever listen to him speak, like, every drug under the sun and every situation under the sun and, and he's managed to pull it together. So if Steve-O can't help you out, then, yeah, I don't know how much hope there is. Like, I hope he can sort himself out. Yeah, seeing Steve-O in this, like, he looks super healthy. Like, it's cool to see him go from where he was to where he is now. Like, he looks looks like he's in great shape. So cool to see. Yeah, and like you said, like, Bam was one of those core members. Like, you think of Jackass, the people you picture are Knoxville, Steve-O, Bam. Yeah. And Chris Pontius, like they're the four that you think of. And then obviously Wee Man's pretty big as well, but to have not have him in it, like he's, it's weird. There's one skit that they filmed before he got fired, which makes the cut, but he's like dressed up in this marching band outfit and he's like, it's real quick, like barely see him. And then he's not in the movie at all. So yeah, yeah. strange. Like it'll be interesting to see how he goes with that lawsuit. I can't imagine he'll win. Because if if they had a like 
you need to be sober clause in their contracts. He's got no hope. So, yeah, bit disappointing, but yeah, overall, Jackass forever, definitely worth a watch if you're a Jackass fan. If <laughs> if you don't like that style of movie, you are not going to like this movie at all. <laughs> yeah, you know what you're getting. <laughs> and now, a quick word from our sponsor. First up is Decorate and Dance. For them, life is a party. And now, as summer rolls around, the parties will be coming thick and fast. If you are hosting a party or an event, then all of the ingredients for a good time start with the three Bs. Design, decorate, and dance. You can't have a party without a theme, design, balloons, florals, and more. Decoration. And some good tunes, dance. The team over at Decorate and Dance can provide it all. Specialising in kids' parties, adults' parties, ends, nights, baby showers, corporate events, and weddings. Decorate and Dance provide everything you'll need to have a great event. Book a designer, decorations, and a DJ for a party to be remembered at www.decorateanddance.com.au. That's www.decorateand. D-A-N-C-E dot com dot A-U. Next up is LF9 Designs. Are you in need of a new logo or event posters, Twitch overlays or emotes, or even merchandise design? Then look no further than the team at LF9 Designs for all of your graphic design needs. The team there can provide anything you need to suit all styles. Check them out on Instagram at LF9 Designs. The other thing I watched was a Netflix improv comedy series called Murderville. Have you seen that one pop up? I watched the first episode of Conan O'Brien. What did you think of that first episode? I found it really funny. I, I like how it seems like it reminded me of like, remember, thank God you're here. Mm-hmm. It was like the sketch show and they kind of walked in there and there's the cast and everything, but it felt like a really well-produced version of like thank god you're here where it just they somehow linked it together to be a whole episode of a tv show rather than just a a one set skip like i i didn't see that coming i knew it was an improv thing but i didn't see it coming that it would be like a full episode of a show where he tried to work it out and it was being different settings and a cafe and a police station and all those different places i thought they'd just be stuck so uh, i found the acting really funny and i i always really liked the moments in those shows where you can see that the person that's improvising has almost got the person that's not improvising to break character because I think something's really funny. I, I just love the honesty in it. And I think Conan was quite funny. Yeah, so basically on this show they have six celebrity guests as the acting as a rookie detective in this Murderville town. And basically they have to come on. They're not given any script at all. Everyone else obviously has a script and know who the murderer is, but these guests come on, no script, have to just work their way through the scenes, and then at the end of the episode they're asked who the murderer was and have to sort of base it on what they've experienced. And, you know, like, it, it was funny. There was a lot of moments where, like, it's absolutely hilarious, but then there's a bunch of moments as well that kind of just really cringy and don't quite hit. <laughs> it's a good watch, but it's also one that can easily just be like, I'm not enjoying this. And for me, I turned off after the Kumail Nanjiani episode. So the six guests are Conan O'Brien. Episode two is Marshall and Lynch. Then we get 
Kumail Nanjiani, Annie Murphy, Sharon Stone, and Ken Jeong. And like, I wanted to push through to see uh, the Ken Jeong one, but yeah, yeah, it's just, it might be one that you just chuck on randomly when you've got half an hour because they're short episodes, but it's not one that I could sit down and binge all six at once. Like, it was very sort of grating after three. Yeah, I think those shows are always so heavily reliant on the person that they have on there. Like the Thank God You're Here days or the episodes, I was just hanging for the Frank Woodley episodes. Like obviously I'm a big Lennon Woodley fan, but he was just brilliant at improv and it's just so heavily reliant on that. So, I mean, if you've got people on there, it would have been nice to see Netflix get six episodes at Ken Jong level rather than kind of, I mean, Conan's funny, but he's not Ken Jong. Uh, I feel like they really could have. I'd love to see a Will Ferrell. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see a Wolf Heron. I'm surprised they didn't lead with Ken Jeong. Yeah. Leading with Conan seems like a strange choice. Yeah. I guess they knew they only had the one big name, so try and get people to the end. The Marshawn Lynch one is very funny. I'll admit that Marshawn's funny just because he's just, like, ridiculous. <laughs> it's just like, it's one point where he's, like, trying to fight a guy, and I was like, whoa, whoa. This is, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how, like, on board with this part, the, the guy that's got the script is with <laughs> this but yeah for me like I, I i had to turn off after three like it might be one that i revisit at a later point when i'm sitting there one night where i was like mm, half an hour before i probably should go to bed I'll, I'll chuck this on interesting but definitely not for everyone yeah agreed <laughs> not for everyone but it feels like everyone is watching this this other show that you're watching manifest how are you finding that it's the same for me as what you just said about um, the last one. It's like a show that I turned on expecting just to have this background noise but then found myself getting a little bit hooked in. So that's on Netflix. I think it's got four seasons now. And I, I guess it's really influenced by, you know, Netflix puts up like the everyone else is watching this. They go, I'll give it a crack. So I don't, even, I don't even know if everyone else actually is watching it or if they just want you to watch it. But it definitely hooked me in. But it's the, a series based on um, these people are flying from Jamaica back to the USA. They, some of them get pushed onto a different flight, and so families get separated and all sorts of things. The first flight goes totally fine, lands, no worries. The second flight gets some really severe turbulence along the way, but nothing else really kind of weird feels like it's happened after that. But when they land the plane, it's five and a half years later, and for them, no time's passed. They haven't aged or anything. But they land, they are immediately surrounded by a bunch of sort of FBI and taken away into these certain places and uh, debriefed and interviewed. And then they try and put their lives back together after being away for five and a half years. Uh, I felt like it was going to have just that, but then it kind of it took on like a bit of a supernatural element where they're kind of connected and they have like these premonitions and things. So, I mean, it gives me a bit of a, I kind of find it like lost without the jungle. Like they're, it's like Lost, the TV series, but they're kind of in New York City. Like, it's that same feeling. Yeah, and, I mean, like, they're, it's interesting because their relationships, some of their marriages have ended and then they're back thinking they can get back together with their wife or certain family members have passed away in that five years. And it's interesting and it's good to watch, but it's the similar sort of a thing where it's not, it's not going to win any awards, but it hooked me in more than I thought it would. Okay, yeah, like... It does feel like everybody's watching this. Like my mum's watching it. Blake was watching it. <laughs> yeah. Jess that was on a, f- a few weeks ago is watching it. it. 
on the Netflix Facebook groups. I mean, it feels like everybody's watching it. So I think the the Netflix top 10 is probably accurate, but yeah, it feels like it's not, not a show I want to watch, but I like the idea of them sort of playing into maybe like the Bermuda Triangle aspect. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like adding those weird like premonition supernatural elements is a bit strange. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. Um, but it does, like, I, at first I thought that. I was like, oh, no, don't do that. Like, the time travel was enough. But then I found myself kind of getting, I guess, sucked into the storyline of why is it happening and, oh, my God, they just saved this person. And, again, it was something that I found that I, at the start I instantly kind of was like you pushed away by but then got sucked back into. So, I mean, if you're going to pull four, four seasons out of something that, is happening like that and you can't really just have the the one thing i guess they've got to try and make it a bit more complex and and link it all together so yeah interesting lots of little twists and turns and stuff in it it is a good show to have just if you've got nothing else to watch and you're kind of cruising uh, but yeah, i don't think it's going to win any awards but it's one of those shows that will definitely suck you in yeah like the the time travel element there's there's so many things you could play with there like like you said there's obviously the people who have been there the whole time they think their partner's dead and then they come back and they've moved on. So it's like, what do you do? Whereas the other person had no time passed. So there was like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, they had twins that got separated. So they were like brother and sister twins that were exactly the same age. And then when they got back, one of them had aged and the other one hadn't. So you end up with like a 14-year-old and a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, well, that's weird. Yeah. But yeah, like it sounds like, yeah, it's basically just lost, but in the city, not the jungle. Yeah, and I guess, like, the, the smart thing for a show like that is if you separate two lots of people on two lots of planes, you basically have a plane full of characters to draw on. So if you need a different storyline, there's lots of little individual things happening rather than following kind of one family. They kind of keep adding different people from the plane into each episode and building on the story that way. So you start with one family and build out. I mean, they have stowaways and all sorts of things. So, yeah, they've, they've obviously got plenty of, options because planes have plenty of seats are they falling into the trap of losted where they pose a bunch of questions but never sort of answer any of them i like i said i've gone back to work so i'm only about well nearly at the end of the first season so i mean there's four seasons in there i'm nervous about that but i couldn't tell you if it's happened yet okay yeah that that was that was what turned me off lost in the end i was just like yeah. i think i got two or three seasons in and they just kept adding more elements without explaining any of the previous ones. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. This is, this is going too far. So far they're doing a good job of linking them back into the old stuff rather than just randomly throwing things in. That's good. As long as, yeah, there's, there's some sort of connection there. It's not just like, well, now we're adding this element in for no discernible reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now there's a monster in the jungle. And then the last thing you were watching, I, I wish we'd had you for episode that we just recorded for episode 100. <laughs> yeah, you can blame the dogs for that one. <laughs> Since you mentioned that this is uh, connected to Downton Abbey and there's a Downton Abbey movie coming, I would have liked to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, I hated Downton Abbey like a couple of years ago and then it got me and I got absolutely hooked watching Mr Bates trying to find what happened to the perfect silver spoons and I am hooked on Downton Abbey. I'm keen for the movie to come out. Did you fall in love with Downton Abbey after The Crown? Is that sort of what was the turning point for you? No, I don't think so. I think I was the opposite. I think I watched The Crown because I liked Downton Abbey. Oh, 
So, like, I went back and watched things. Like, yeah, it's obviously Anne, my wife, is, I don't know if she had, like, a past life back in that age in, like, the early 1900s or, or whatever, but <laughs> me and she loves things from that time. Jane Austen and the Brontes and Downton Abbey is, like, by far her favourite show. And I think for me watching it, it was it's a very well-made show. <laughs> At first I used to make fun of the the simplicity of the storylines and the drama that they pull out of, oh, my God, we can't find the right type of bread or, like, just really little thing that became this really blown-up thing. But then I found myself really into it and it's just, I don't know, it left me feeling good. Like, it didn't need to have time travel and it didn't need to have, no, there was death, but it didn't need to have death and violence and it was kind of a positive, almost an uplifting kind of drama. I used to find... I still do find the kind of the pomp and ceremony of it all kind of a bit wanky, but I definitely enjoy watching it now. So we just started, I think it's the same producer from Downton Abbey has now um, created The Gilded Age. That's on Paramount Plus. And it is pretty much the same thing, but uh, in New York. So it's the idea of, um, I think it's actually set a little earlier. I think it's uh, late 1800s rather than Downton Abbey is kind of early 1900s rolling into World War One, but it's all about the new money versus the old money in New York City in that time and yeah it's it's very much the same thing I, I was super sad this morning because some of the new money invited 200 guests over for a party to show them their new house and nobody arrived at the party and that made me really sad so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's got me I I just love that the drama without having horror I guess like it's yeah it's hooked me in it's it's very much the American version though I don't find it I mean I'm only I'm only one full episode through at the moment only to kind of just came out but uh, yeah I definitely prefer Downton Abbey still at this point uh, it's definitely a good a good gap stopper until the, the film comes out is the Gilded Age like I imagine that's like pre-revolutionary um, and civil war for the U.S. It's just post. Yeah, and they do, they immediately touch on, um, there's an African-American lady that helps uh, one of the main characters sort of early in the scenes and she has to then um, go and stay with this lady who they're, they're quite close friends, but immediately she has to go and stay in the servants' quarters and stuff. So it's, it's not something that they're shying away from, but, I mean, obviously something that they need to, to address. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of set just that little bit before. No cars or anything yet. I mean, Downton Abbey had the, the very early, like, Brum, remember Brum from ABC? Yep. Like Brum cars, but this one they're still horse and carts and things like that. So, yeah, it's a good show. I like it. It's, it's very well put together. The cast is very good. I've forgotten the name of the actress, but she's, um, she's a bunch of stuff. She's, you know the, the movie The Grinch? Yeah. You know Martha May, like the, the love interest of The Grinch? Yep. That lady that plays that character plays a very similar, like, high-end old money lady it has uh the red-headed lady i should got their names but the red-headed lady out of sex in the city oh yep yep um yeah miranda yeah, but i, I can't remember her actual name. yep <laughs> yeah her she's on there that's embarrassing too that anne's been watching the new sex in the city so i know the sex in the city character names better than <laughs> the actor names but miranda is on there but yeah they've got they've got some pretty strong cast on there and the, it's it's really interesting so Another really uh, proper, nice drama to watch for Anne and I. And it's going to be something we'll definitely watch the whole way through. 
If it's like, like you said, if it's the same producer as Downton Abbey, I wonder if this is their way of like giving a US spin to period drama. Cause I know like Downton Abbey seems to be big outside the US and like there's a few people in America that watch it, but I wonder if having this American touchstone story will sort of introduce people to this style of period drama. And then from there, Americans will then go over and watch the Downton Abbey series. I think so because I think I did it the opposite way and I really, I have a hard time of, I guess we're as Australians probably a little more aligned with the British way of life and I honestly going into it until I kind of got through that first episode and noticed that I felt sad that no one had arrived at her party that I instantly felt kind of against, I guess, the the American style of this they're building railroads and the Vanderbilts and everyone's kind of just got all this money all of a sudden and we're millionaires that can just buy whatever we want or whatever we want. So I found that I was against it, but the thing that got me to kind of come across from Downton Abbey to that was that there's um, the mother in Downton Abbey herself is American. So there's a character link. I don't, they, I don't know if they're going to actually try and link the character in, but there's a, I guess there's an element in Downton Abbey that is American and they play on that a lot in the episodes. So it makes you interested as a Downton Abbey fan to watch the opposite. So I wouldn't be surprised if the American people naturally, like you're saying, want to watch something about old America, if they bring in a British element and kind of get you to kind of go across that way because that's definitely how it worked as a Downton Abbey fan for me. I wonder if we get in the future the, the Downton Abbey cross Gilded Age crossover. Maybe maybe that's what the movie is. Maybe that's what the movie is. I have no idea. <laughs> hey, you need to just get through the Downton Abbey first. It's, you'll find yourself worrying about spoon formations and being the most polite version of yourself you've ever been. I still need to get through the crown. I started that and then just fell off it. <laughs> well, it's the Queen's like, was it, double platinum diamond sapphire jubilee or whatever she's got going on now. So now's the time. I've got to finish the crown. I've got to finish Peaky Blinders. I start all these British shows and then just drop off. <laughs> uh, yeah, Downton Abbey is one of those shows like um, like Game of Thrones where all I need to do is hear the music from this, the start and I get really excited by it. Like, I, yeah, it gets me. Never thought I'd be that person. I, can't, I don't know how I go from the 100-foot wave to Downton Abbey, but I love it. You mentioned Game of Thrones. What are your thoughts on the upcoming House of the Dragon Game of Thrones prequel series? Yeah, I'm very interested. It had a couple of really interesting actors that they've put in there already too. I can't remember who they were though. It was, oh, was it Jay from the Inbetweeners? It was someone similar to that. But they had some really interesting actor choices. I might be wrong on that one, but it had some really interesting actor choices. It's like I'm saying for the Downton Abbey Gilded Age, just because of how much I love Game of Thrones, I'm immediately going to give anything similar a red hot go. Oh yeah, like I'm, I'm going to at least watch it, and but after that last season of Game of Thrones, it, I'm not holding high hopes for it unless there is actual George R. R. Martin books to base this off. <laughs> if if they're just writing this themselves, this could be a sketchy season. Yeah, it's I don't know. Well, they've got the the audience and they've got the production budget, so let's hope. Let's just hope they make episodes that you can actually see that aren't so dark that you have to turn your TV onto like ultra, ultra bright. Oh, that was so bad in that last season. <laughs> Especially like that last episode, I was like, I don't think I saw any of that. I think I just <laughs> heard all of that episode. 
Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited by it. I hope it. When does it come out? They haven't given a date yet. They said it's this year and it's on the binge as coming soon, but there's no like actual date. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll be ready and waiting. Unlike the other show that I know you'll be excited about, Halo on Paramount Plus, they finally oh, given yeah. us a date for that one. That show is just like, it's, it looks like it's going to be pretty good, but it is just like 15 years too late. Mm-hmm. Like they had a moment where they kept saying they were going to do it and people would make up these fake videos and all sorts of stuff. Like everybody was ready for that Halo show or Halo movie 15 years ago. I'm glad that it's coming, but I think maybe at this point, like they do have kids and stuff that play the games and things. And obviously there's a lot of like a generation of people like you and I that grew up on it that will give it a, a good go. But imagine as that kid still, that teenager, if it came out then, like it would have been perfect. So I'm really hopeful and it looks really, really good. Um, and the CGI obviously has gotten into a position where it's it's ready to go. But, yeah, I just wish it was earlier. Yeah, like if that had came out when we were 20, 22, like that would have been phenomenal, perfect timing. But I'm interested to see where it goes. But you've got one more episode before that comes out and then the next episode after that, it's definitely on our list to chat about and see See if it lives up to our expectations. I just hope it's not like one big cut scene. That's what I found with myself in the Halo games and the most recent Halo game is that sometimes they just drag on in the cut scenes with the, the Covenant and things. So hopefully they do the drama well. Yeah, it looks like it's kind of trying to tell its own story. They're not just trying to rehash an old Halo story. It looks like they're sort of taking bits and pieces from the show, from the games to then create their own story, which I'm excited for. Hopefully there'll be a Downton Abbey Halo crossover where the Master Chief needs to find his perfect silverware. (laughs) That would be something. That would definitely be something. All righty, that's everything for the week. What is your top recommendation for people to check out? If you're a TV person, obviously I'm hooked on Survivor. I love Survivor, Survivor. But if you are someone that has never seen anybody ride an eight-story building-sized wave, the 100-foot wave. Uh, For me, it's Jackass Forever. Obviously, it's not going to be for everyone. You need to be a Jackass fan. But if you are, it is exactly what you wanted from a fourth Jackass movie. Alrighty. Thank you everyone for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. Next week is episode 100 and we are hyping up the 2022 biggest movie releases. You can follow me on social media at Jamie Media and at Perio Magazine. And you can follow Buddy on Instagram at a.b underscore c-s-double-e. Thank you. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people support it at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Blake Robinson, Brian and June Hart, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hackliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.